The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Trent Rush. This is Brandon Marsh, the Los Angeles Angels and 66ers baseball. This is Joe Adele here with the Los Angeles Angels. Soriano Jr. You're listening to the All Angels Podcast. What is going on, Angel fans? This is another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am joined with Johnny Mann. And in this special edition of the All Angels Podcast, we are talking with Red Bollinger of MLB.com. Um, about his all angels list um, we're doing position players right now and then we'll get him back on hopefully later when he does all his pitchers but johnny we just finished recording the the interview what did you think of it i, I dude it's it's right on my alley you guys know love angels history and those of you who, who listen to us know that i got some stupid random stuff in my head so uh angels history is always fun so to hear his list you know you can't disagree with a lot of them. Um, if you go on MLB.com and you look at the entire list and you start getting into the top five and the honorable mentions, then you could really, really nitpick on who you, you know, should be on the honorable mention and who should be in the top five. But as far as the top one twos, hard to argue with his list. He did a good job of, you know, doing his research and, and, and playing in a lot of factors. And he mentioned the factors that got played into his voting system. So it's, it was an awesome interview, and I can't wait till the pitchers come up because. I have some things in my head right now where I'm going, I wonder where he where he went with this, you know. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out MLB.com, and, and you'll see it all there. All right, we hope you guys enjoy the interview. Uh, here it is. So in this edition of the All Angels podcast, Johnny and myself have the privilege of bringing back Rhett Bollinger, the MLB.com writer uh, for the Angels. How are you doing, Rhett? I'm doing well. I'm trying to find some uh, fun content to write about here as we wait for uh, baseball to hopefully come back here soon. <laughs> with that being said, the reason why we had you on is because you <laughs> are putting out – um, the All Angels team, uh, position players are done. Pitchers are coming up in the weeks to come. So we're going to talk about position players. But before we talk about the individual positions, um, tell me a little bit about how you chose uh, who got your top spot. You know, it was a lot of research mostly. You know, I, I think a lot of times it's going on baseball reference, going on fangraphs.com, looking at their career stats for sure with the Angels. You know, I think, too, it's fun to put my you know, Twitter polls out there, see what the fans thought. Um, you know, I, I think just even looking at some other all-time lists as well, just kind of get a feel for what kind of the consensus was. But really, more than anything, it was my kind of top five, so it was kind of based on statistics. Um, you know, because I think longevity definitely is one of the factors. You know, postseason play especially, too. You know, how much of those players in 2002. And even some of the guys, you know, in 79 and 82 and 86 that really led those teams definitely get kind of a nod 
uh, for sure. So I think it's just kind of looking at the overall numbers. You know, there's definitely some ways to look at it with baseball reference and fan graphs where you can kind of filter things just to see what they did with the Angels and who had the most, you know, hits or home runs in a certain position. Because the hardest part, I think, is just the fact that some players, especially Darren Erstad, you know, Brian Downey, some of these guys played multiple positions, so it's hard to kind of lock them in on one. Sean Figgins, too. But more than anything, it's just kind of looking at all, all those stats and kind of just figuring out who I think was was the top five. So it's definitely really fun, but a lot of research. Yeah, one, one thing that I find difficult, and when Dan and I do like the all-time team of the 80s or 90s when we were doing that for our podcast, was, like you said, the longevity of it. Because sometimes you can't discredit what one guy did in one year that was so, you know, good. But then you look mm-hmm. at another guy who perhaps had four years of solid play. So it's like, Whoa, who do I leave off? Did you did you run into that where, oh, man, I got to leave this guy off my top five and and – and kind of honorable mention to him. Did, did you run into that a lot? Yeah, I mean, even one guy recently, just the pitchers, the, I don't get back to the hitters soon, but Bartolo Colon's a guy, you know, when a Cy Young, it's like, how do you place him? Because other years weren't as good. So um, certainly you run into that. Like I said, yeah, you kind of look at the impact. I think what the, I said earlier, or said one of the big ones too, was with uh, offensively too, like Vladimir Guerrero versus Tim Salmon. Do you, you know, look, you weigh his MVP year and the fact that he was a Hall of Famer and truthfully a better player than Salmon or Salmon being you know, longer and, and having that postseason impact that he had in uh, 2002. So, yeah, I definitely ran into that a few times, just kind of looking at guys that w- weren't there for very long, maybe had a bigger impact in the short time they were there. But I do, I do think a lot of the guys that were there for a long time, you know, Garrett Anderson or even Eric Ibar, some of these guys, you know, Tim Salmon, uh, you know, you know all, all the guys that have been around for a long time uh, on those teams and, you know, that kind of that long run there in the 90s to the 2000s. Um, certainly got, you know, weighed pretty heavily. And I think a lot of teams, too, a lot of guys, too, that led the team in the postseason was definitely a, a big category for me as well. So going into the positions now, catcher, again, everyone, we're going to probably talk about the top ones, but Red did do like a top five of every position plus honorable mention. So um, I really suggest you go out there. You can find it on, on angels.com. And uh, ha- I think the DH one has a link to all the positions, but he did, he did do a top five for all of them. But the first position I want to talk about is catcher. You had Bob Boone over Benji Molina. Now, when you looked it up, obviously Benji was the, with the O2 World Series champ. Um, what, but what put um, Bob Boone a, a front of him as far as your top catcher? Yeah, the one thing too I looked at I didn't mention earlier was awards too. Guys that were either all stars or won you know awards for their position uh, definitely was a factor for as well. And for me, I guess with Boone, the fact that he won multiple Gold Gloves as much as Benji was an incredible defensive catcher and uh, and obviously a better hitter than Boone was. Um, I think Boone just had a little bit more longevity and also actually did win some gold gloves uh, to kind of boost his resume. So I, I, that one was really close. I know the fans had, had, had Benji Molina, um, and I really thought really, really hard about him. That was one of the tougher ones by far, but I, I just thought with the, the awards that Boone won, uh, you know, he really was at the time regarded as kind of the best defensive catcher of his, maybe even of his era, one of the better ones. So that one was close, but I it's kind of almost could have been a 1A and 1B type of situation, but yep. to me it was just the awards that kind of that kind of separated those two. Yeah, man, that one that one surprised me a bit. I, I you know, it, it could I totally agree with you on everything, but I just on my end I was like Benji Molina, you know, mm-hmm. two years there where I think back to back years he had something like 15 or 16 home runs, and mm-hmm. uh, he was batting behind Vladimir Guerrero, adding protection in the lineup for him for two years there. That I just read that just stood out to me, but you can't you can't hate your decision with Bob Bloom because that guy could call the game behind the plate and, and defensively. I don't think there was anybody better in his era than Bob Boone, uh, just a consummate a consummate professional. So, man, that that one was the one where I was like, oh, that had to have been the 
super tough. That that one in right field. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, one A, one B in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. So I believe it was definitely a better hitter for sure. And Molina had some big postseason hits as well. Um, so you know, I think game seven even. So yeah, I mean, it was a tough one, but I just thought that Boone just did a little bit more, a little longer in terms of defense. And and also for me, catcher, to me it's almost like a bonus if you get some offense out of him. To me the whole I mean, not not this is not taking away from Benji. Benji was an incredible defensive catcher, so I just thought yeah. that maybe Boone was a little better back then. So that one was really close though. Now moving on to first base, obviously your number one is Rod Crew and number two is Wally Joyner. Um, again, kind of tell me what your thought process was. I mean, Rod Crew is obviously Rod Crew, but Wally Joyner, um, you know, Wally World kind of had also a big imprint on the Angels franchise. Yeah, that's the thing too. I mean, you looked at it, it was truthfully, I think Wally Joyner might have had a little bit better numbers, but you know, it's same thing with Rod Crew. Look at the accomplishments with him and the fact that he was an all star, all star all those years. The fact that, you know, um, you know, Angels Hall of Famer from the get-go in terms of their club Hall of Fame, um, obviously went in as a twin. But, but I think this Rod Crew just as a hitter with all, you know, it was toward the end of his career, but the fact that he could still have for average the way that he did, um, you know, I, I just thought that was a really close one too. Um, Wally Joyner obviously had a huge impact in 86 as a rookie. And I, I said I think overall probably had a little bit slightly better offensive numbers, but also probably played in a little bit of a better era for hitting than Crew yeah. did. but. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was a really tough one. But to me, it's like kind of same thing. You kind of look at it, and it's one of those ones where it's really a toss-up. And you go, okay, well, this guy was an all-star, you know, this many times, one of the most time, the most times in franchise history until Trout broke it. And you know what I mean. And the other guy didn't have quite as many accolades in terms of the, the individual awards as he did. So that one was tough. But I, same thing, I just kind of went with. It would have been hard to say no to, to Rod Carew um, at first base for sure. Right. I agree with you on that one 100%. I just feel like Wally Jr., to me, uh, what, 86 and 87 were probably his top years offensively, especially power-wise. After that, he kind of tailed off a little bit. So, you know, when you think of Rod Carew, you know, you think of the Angels and Rod Carew, you think of, you know, him with Reggie Jackson and, and Bobby yeah. Gritch. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And speaking of Bobby Gritch, he is your number, your second, your uh, second baseman, and right behind him is Howie Kendrick. Obviously, Howie a little more recent than Bobby, but um, how close was it, or was it not very close as far as um, the the gap between Bobby and Howie? It was that one was pretty easy for the most part. I mean, yeah. Bobby to me is a you know borderline Hall of Famer. If not, it should be an Hall of Fame. Especially with what he did with the Orioles as well. I mean, we did our thing. You know, every every MLB team did this. And he was also the Orioles' best second baseman of all time, too. Um, so Crazy. you look at it, and the overall numbers he had, you look at some of the Hall of Fame like measurements they have nowadays, most people have him as the seventh or eighth best second baseman of all time, and somehow he's not in the Hall of Fame. So uh, to me, it's pretty crazy. Um, he was an incredible hitter and really an incredible defender, too. Could really do it all. It was hurt that first year with the club, but after that, you know, it was a, a stalwart for that team. But not taking away from Howie, and Howie was a hitting machine, I think there was some hope that he hit a little bit higher of an average than he did just because of what he did in the minor leagues. I mean, yeah. I remember I was covering the team a little bit back then, and he was hitting like 400 in the minor leagues like every year pretty much, or 370, 380, whatever it was. And so I think people, I remember Tory Hunter and them were saying, this guy's going to hit 330 in the league for a long yeah. time. That quite never happened, but he still had some really solid years and was an all-star and obviously had a huge uh, you know, postseason with the Nationals. That didn't factor into it, but this shows his longevity as a hitter. He's had a great career. I didn't really factor in what guys did with other clubs because it really was just angels based. Um, but Howie was, you know, was right there had a great career. But to me, you know, Gritch is a borderline Hall of Famer who had a great career with the Angels, and he was just a little bit 
uh, definitely more than, than Howie, but uh, still a fun one to kind of rank and look back at some of the stuff that Gritch did and learn more about him. Um, you know, obviously knew enough about him, but it's just part of this, read a bunch of stuff about him through some of the profiles, and so it's kind of cool to read more about him and hear more about a guy, also a local guy too, so it's pretty pretty cool. I, I laugh at the at the, your comment about Howie because that's the one thing I always talk about whenever Howie Kendrick is brought up in HR's history. I talk about how, to me, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with his tenure here because of the fact that all I kept hearing from this guy was this guy's going to be a batting champion. This guy's going to be a batting champion. It never quite panned out. Yeah. Way. I think maybe he batted three, over 300 once for the Angels, maybe twice. But, yeah, I mean, he was a solid defender. So I, I agree with you one, two there. Bobby Grinch was the greatest second base. But let's face it, too, second base is always a position where, you know, you know Angels especially haven't really had anybody other than Grinch and Howell or Gritch and uh, and Howie, other than Bobby Cannot back in the '60s. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that 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 one to me, I was like, Bobby Gritch has to be if probably the best angel. You could you could make a case for him probably being one of the best angels of all time. Period. So, yeah, absolutely. And you also had even AK had a good AK in there. Same thing. There's no way you could have a top five yeah. list without having the guy at three home runs in one. You know, it's only one game, but I mean, it's <laughs> hit three home runs in an ALCS like that against yeah. the Twins. As someone who used to cover the Twins, there's nobody that, you know, Twins fans hate more than Adam Kennedy. So he had to make that list. Uh, if I bring up Adam Kennedy on Twitter, I still get people tweeting at me. Uh, Knock it off, Red, or stop tweeting. So uh, people in Minnesota hate, hate AK. <laughs> All right, so now moving around the diamond, now we go to third base. Obviously, Troy Gloss, I think that's kind of was a slam dunk oh, at yeah. third base. Yeah. Um, you know, how far was the gap between him and the next guy um, in your rankings? Yeah, I mean, Gloss was pretty easy you know, with the amount of power that he had, um, you know, and, and to be the World Series MVP is going to definitely put you up there uh, for sure, no matter how long you were with the club. And, you know, and to have the, I think, the single-season club uh, record for home runs, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was a pretty easy one. Third base was a little tough. Like, the hard thing, too, was even like a guy like Sean Figgins, I had to slot him in at third base. I didn't know where else to really put him. Um, his yeah. best year was definitely at third base and what was it, 2009, I think, the one where he was really incredible and, and signed right. with the Mariners afterward. Um, that year really was awesome. He walked over 100 times, was a perfect leadoff hitter for that team. Um, so he was a great player, but wasn't really a prototypical third baseman. So he was in the list. But, yeah, for that one, it's like when you see a guy like Gloss with the amount of power he had and, the, and the, you know, uh, just the impact he had in the postseason, that one is definitely kind of a slam dunk with Gloss for sure. Yeah, that that one had to have been super easy. You, know, you look at Angels third baseman, and you think of Troy Gloss, you know, shattering that single season home run record for the Angels. And you what, like forty seven or something like that. And uh, yeah, I just you think of Angels third baseman, and no one no one stands out to me. Um, and the funny thing with Sean Fagan too, when Dan and I did our one of our all time teams, I think I slotted uh, Sean at third base as well, just because he played every position, and it was just I think he played center field a couple of years there every day, and second coming up as a second baseman and then kind of just found his way at third base there with the angels but uh yeah man Troy Gloss, how can you not put him on the top of that list yeah exactly that's definitely one of those ones where he's pretty easy on that one i mean like I said, there wasn't that many third basemen to go through otherwise i mean um i think i did have you know douglas Sinces is a guy that i had yeah. right behind him he also had a great career too and underrated player um but after that it kind of fell off a little bit with jack howell and carney lansford yeah um, it wasn't really third base wasn't a strong position. And we know that ever since 
slots left, that's been a, you know the worst position for the Angels almost. So sure. hope obviously is Amy Rendon can make that list uh, in the next time he does this, and yeah. hopefully never in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. So now going shortstop, you're number one with Jim Fergosi and you're number two with Eric Ibar. I was a little bit surprised not to see Simba up in that yeah. number two spot. Um, what was the difference between more so between Ibar and Simmons um, for that number two spot? I think that one was just more based on longevity. I mean, the number one with Fergosi, you look at baseball references, war. Yeah. He's number two all time behind Trout. So I think a lot of Angels Harder. fans who didn't, you know, they voted Simba number one on the poll by a large margin just because they know him better. And Fergosi was such a long time ago. He was, you know, basically on the very first team with the Angels way back mm-hmm. in the 60s. But he was their first star. So, yeah, I mean, to me it was longevity with, with Ibar. Just he racked up more hits and has been around longer. And um, I, I think that Simmons, if he can sign an extension and stay with the team, he would definitely pass him uh, just because what he can do defensively. And, and obviously Simmons has become a better hitter. Last year I give him credit just because I think that he was so hurt and playing on that ankle that I don't really take his stats you know what I mean? I don't really think those were indicative of what he can do still. I was actually expecting him to have a really big year this year, um, especially in a contract year. So good. Hopefully, you know, like I said, hopefully everything gets going here pretty soon. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a tough one between those two. But for me, I think it was just at this point, it was just the longevity of Vibar and being there longer. And, you know, he was an all-star too and a gold glover. And I think that, uh, you know, pretty underrated as a guy that really was a good defender and, you know, obviously, you know, a great base runner, a ton of stolen bases. So, um, that was kind of another part of it, but it was it was tough. But for me, it was just the longevity part for now. I was so glad that we had Fergosi at the top of that list to get some recognition because a lot of Angel fans, you know, and let's be honest, there's a lot of Angel fans and we run into it a lot. You know, we run the Halo Haven page and all that and we see a lot of the newer fans. I call them uh, post-02 fans, you know, where they don't know much of the <laughs> history do, of the Angels. That is true. Yeah, and uh, they don't know much of the history of the Angels, but Jim Fergosi was the first Angel star and at that time, Many consider him probably one of, the, if not the best player in baseball, one of the top three best best, best players of baseball of that time. Playing shortstop, so the first guy to really come out and hit with power from that shortstop position, you know, driving runs and 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 and, and play solid defense at shortstop. Like he was one of those rare breeds. He was one of the first really big shortstop guys, you know, to ever to ever play. So I'm I was so happy to have to see that you put him there, but. uh Where's where was David Eckstein in, in your in your list? There? I was just curious. Yeah, he was in there. I think he was number four. Uh, obviously, the same thing with Eckstein though too was that he had those first really great years, and obviously he had a huge huge role in two thousand two with that season. He was incredible in the Grand Slams he hit during the regular season, and how right. well he played in the postseason. And but really after those couple years, he kind of fell off a little bit offensively. I mean, I guess I didn't right. realize that as much going back and looking at it. I just always thought of him as just really really productive the whole time and. He kind of fell off, and obviously the Angels moved on, and well, they, you know, moved on to who was it, Ocab after that, or who would have been? Or Cabrera. Was, but, yeah, I'm trying to remember who they got right after him, but but yeah. So it, it, to me, it just if, if he would have been more consistent throughout his Angels tenure, I would have ranked him up higher. But you know, obviously he had that big impact in those couple of years, but I just felt like I was surprised that his offensive numbers definitely ticked off a little bit. But then of course goes on and wins the World Series MVP with the Cardinals and <laughs> yeah. all that. So, I mean, he was a Does you know, it great player again. and made the most of his, of his uh, you know, what he had. So, pretty amazing player. So, moving into the outfield, obviously there are some close battles out here, but in left field you had G.A., your number one, and then Brian Downing, okay. your number two. Um, you know, G.A. just, was again, had a bunch of records before Trout came along, but, you know, what was the difference between G.A. and Downing, or was it even really close? The hardest part about it was with Downing was the hardest person I had in the entire probably list yeah. under the Navy Earth dad because Downing 
had a, you know was a great catcher early in his career, but only had a couple seasons there as catcher. So I actually had in my catcher list. We were told after that round that we were supposed to not have guys listed twice, just add to one position. <laughs> I ended up having to put him in left field anyway again because it would have been a really egregious error to not have him in left field with what he did as a left fielder. So like I said, I right. tried to filter it through baseball reference, you could, which is pretty cool. You can put in you know, as a left fielder so you can look at everyone's stats and the Angels only when they played left field that day. So it's kind of right. nice to kind of look and see. And he just had way too many big numbers out there to not to ignore it. I, I think that, truthfully, I mean, actually it would be a really tough call between him and, and Garrett Anderson in terms of their overall impact on the Angels. And I probably would probably go with Downing overall, but when you talk about a single position, um, it was pretty easy because, you know, Garrett was pretty much only a left fielder. And as you right. know, you know, only Angel with over 2,000 hits with the team and, you know, set a ton of Angels records and, you know, even the 10 RBI game against the Yankees and just the consistency he had as a hitter, um, and, you know, in the big three and double in, the, in game seven of the World Series. So, I mean, Garrett Anderson is, you know, an Angels Hall of Famer through and through in terms of his, you know, club hall of fame. So, yeah, that one was a little bit easy just because, like I said, it wasn't like Downey was a full-time left fielder his whole time with the Angels, but if he was only a left fielder with the Angels, that would have been a really, really tough one. So it's kind of fun to do that one and, and see. But, yeah, I mean, GA just did so much with that team for, for so long. Yeah, I can't disagree with that one too much. I see where, you know, and not, let's not forget Downey also DH for a while there and did pretty yes, exactly. job doing that too. So, you know, but Garrett Anderson, you know, he – if it wasn't Salmon that broke all of Downing's records, it was Anderson that came over and broke the, broke him again. So, you know, I, it's hard to disagree with that one at all. Now, moving on to center field, obviously I think everybody knows who the number one center fielder is, which, you know, is kind of a slam dunk. So, but I looked at your second and third place guys, and second place was Jim Edmonds, and your third place was uh, Torrey Hunter. How close was that um, battle for the second position? This also goes back to, like, uh, you know, Erstad was it. I ranked Erstad as the number three, I think, first baseman. And I was told I could rank him again, so I couldn't put him as a center fielder. The thing with Erstad, too, I kind of forgot was the fact that the year that he hit, what do you have, 240 hits or whatever it was, he was mostly playing left field that year. So I can take away from him a little bit. But, um, yeah, that one was tough. You know, I, I think with Edmonds, uh, it would have been tougher between Edmonds and Erstad, but I think Edmonds was a better player than, than Torrey in his time here just because Torrey was a little bit, Order when he was here, while Edmonds was an incredible defensive player with the Angels still, and underrated hitter, and you know won a couple Gold Gloves and made maybe the best catch in baseball history, other than maybe the Willie Mays one with that crazy diving, you know, over the shoulder catch. Um, you know, it, obviously it ended poorly with the Angels and the injury, and, and you know letting him walk and all that, or trading him obviously to the for AK and Kenton Bottenfield, sorry, um, to the Cardinals. So, yeah, that one was tough. I mean, Torrey, though, had a great impact. You know, it was one of those signings where at the time people thought it was too much money and, you know, they just had signed Gary Matthews. What are they doing? Um, and Torrey ended up being, you know, huge for that club and was a steady offensive force, was the leader in the clubhouse. But I was around those clubs as a, an intern in 08 and as a reporter in 9 and 10. So I saw firsthand the kind of role he had in that clubhouse, um, you know, kind of taking a lot of guys under his wing, um, even, you know, obviously even Trout under his wing, too, and Howie Kendrick, a lot of guys, you know, really gravitated toward Torrey. So, I didn't really factor too much of the clubhouse stuff, but I think on the field play, too, though, he had a lot of power and, you know, it got better as a hitter as he got older in some ways. Um, but I do think that as much as I think some fans don't really like Edmonds as much anymore, I do think he had a big impact uh, early in his career. Yeah, I can't disagree with that one at all either. I think the one, too, you have to, I mean, obviously Trout and Edmonds, and then, you know, uh, the Angels have always had decent center fielders, the guys that don't, you know, aside from the top two or three, but, you know, I think 
once you get past that three, you look at guys like Pettis and Devon White when you're like, oh, these guys are very similar, you know. So the mm-hmm. top three to me, like with Torrey Hunter as well, uh, I agree, man. I think Torrey Hunter, too, is so underrated as an angel because he was probably, other than Guerrero, and, and that was towards the end of Guerrero's years with the Angels there in 2009, 2010, where Guerrero was starting to slow down a bit. The Angels relied a lot on, on Torrey Hunter to bat behind mm-hmm. him and drive and run. So that's a lot of Angel fans don't remember exactly how important he was. I know the numbers don't jump out at you crazy-like, but they were all very solid numbers for Torrey Hunter. So, man, I, yeah, I can't disagree with that top three either. Yeah, and Devin White was one of those ones where he was, he was really a good defender but never really put it together offensively with the team the way he did with right. like, the Blue Jays and those teams later. And Fred Lynn was another one, too, where – he had kind of some of the all-star game stuff. You know, he was MVP of the all-star game, MVP of the ALCS. So, I mean, looking back, I could have snuck him in the top five, but Lynn wasn't as good of a defender in center because he was kind of getting a little bit older. But So it's guys like that where it's kind of hard to know where to peg some of these guys in. But uh, at least got my honorable mentions there. But uh, as you know, Trout was, uh, was easy number one in that one. <laughs> yeah. I think whenever, whenever Dan and I do something like this for the podcast, we always say uh, – the best player other than Trout or the best center fielder yeah. other than Trout, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now going into the right field, you mentioned him a little bit of Vlad Guerrero, but he came in second behind Tim Salmon. Tim Salmon was your number one spot in the right field. Obviously Tim Salmon with the O two World Series, but not just that, but just his, you know, Kingfish, just the whole career with the Angels and then obviously Vladimir Guerrero coming over later. Um, Hall of Famer. So, you know, was it was it easy to get Salmon as your number one, or did Vlad put up a fight? Definitely put up a fight. This was probably the toughest one I had just because you had to really kind of, you know, look at what you value more, whether it's longevity and, and career numbers with the club uh, versus, you know, a shorter impact with the club. You know, Vlad was there for, what, five or six years, so it wasn't like he was there for, you know, that short of a time. But, um, but yeah, to win the, you know, 2004 MVP right away, you know, uh, you know, be an all-star with the club several times, whereas we know that Salmon is kind of one of the, probably the best player to never be an all-star, along with maybe like Eric yeah. Karros. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but to me, Salmon's, you know, Mr. Angel, Kingfish, you know, to be with the team his entire career, you know, has the club home run record still for overall home runs. Um, just put up, like I said, we put up, he put up so many of those record-breaking career numbers along with, you know, Garrett Anderson, too, are both kind of up there. I think GA kind of passed him in a lot of the – doubles and, and, you know, hits and that kind of stuff just because he was more of a single hitter, Not a single hitter, but just more of a um, – yeah, I'll probably just play a little bit more because Salmon did have some injuries as well. Um, but mm-hmm. to me, just for Salmon to play, you know, and in 2002 to have that bounce back year and, and play a big role in the World Series, to me, just, just put him over the top by a little bit, but not taking away from Vlad. And hard when Vlad's the only, you know, member of the Hall of Fame wearing an Angels cap to not have him <laughs> as your best guy at one position. But I know the fans disagreed with me as well, I think, according to the, you know, Twitter poll – but to me, that one was, was tough, but I had to lean Salmon just because of the overall impact he had on a, on a longer time period than, than, than Vlad did. I'm, I can't even come argue with you. Tim Salmon is my favorite baseball player ever. The first guy I, I ever fell in love with as a player, as a kid, man. I wore 15 because of him growing up. And, you know, um, yeah, and, like, you know, setting the, season, uh, the club record pretty much in every offensive category until Eric came right behind him and broke most of them. But, yeah, I think you can't negate the fact that Tim Seaman was in the area where the Angels didn't have a star with an only real to star and never made an all-star game. So always notorious for slow starts, but always finish. It seemed like you used to Tim Seaman the end of the year. There was 30-plus home runs, 100-plus RBIs, somewhere in that 300 range. I think that 95 season when the Angels totally 
went kaput on everybody. I think he had <laughs> something like 34 home runs and batted like 329 and drove in like 100 and something. All the it's ridiculous. So, yeah, um, insane. I, you know, but 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 Vladimir Guerrero, man, I think for me, put up so many numbers. MVP, obviously, but five years with the Angels opposed to 14 with Tim Salmon, you know, and and Salmon being our only guy in that era, kind of carrying the team. For me, a no-brainer. So yeah, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, the home runs in the World Series too definitely put him over the top too. That was definitely pretty big with those two home runs in one game, especially the game winner, in, you know, in the eighth inning. So, like I said, big postseason moments definitely are also a tiebreaker for me for sure. Now you also did do a DH slot, and your number one on your DH was Don Baylor, followed by Chili Davis. When you did the Chili. DH, when you did the DH spots, were you looking at? Uh, at bats at DH more so than maybe just your left your best leftover player. Yeah, that was kind of tough too because Chili Davis was more of a regular DH, whereas Baylor, even when he was MVP, did play more a little bit more left field. And we know that you know Chili Davis did play some positions early on with the Angels, but when he came back the second time, he was only a DH. And if you look at the actual overall numbers at DH, at least while playing DH, Chili Davis had better numbers than than, than Don Baylor did. But also, like I said, some of it is era. You know, Shelly Davis did play with the Angels in the '90s when the you know a lot more offense than when when Don Baylor was playing with the Angels. You know, and uh, and, and for him to win the MVP, be the very first MVP in club history, uh, you know, a member of the Angels Hall of Fame, that kind of stuff. Same thing. And, and, and otherwise, the thing too with Baylor is it would have been tough to put him anywhere else to put him at left field or any other position. Right. So he still kind of view Baylor as a DH. And like I said, if you have that kind of a one-year impact, it's that extreme. To win an MVP like that, you're gonna—I think you're gonna have a, a nod over a guy like, like you know, Davis. Even if he did have, you know, maybe a longer impact than Baylor, and maybe put up more overall numbers in terms of even counting numbers at DH. I just feel like if you have an MVP type year and you're looked at as a DH with the Angels, um, it's hard to have Baylor number one. Yeah, kind of hard to say you won the MVP in '79 with like 39 home runs or whatever he had, or yeah, whatever it was, yeah. and not put him at the top of that list because you know I don't think anyone's ever came close to those DH numbers for the Angels. Even Chile, I mean, Chile had some years where he had like 20 plus home runs, and then yeah, he was never like a candidate for the MVP. He was not the star yeah, in that exactly. lineup. So I, I agree 100. Yeah, and I think Baylor still holds the club record. I think he had 139 RBIs that year, and still the club yeah. record. So. I mean, yeah, it's hard not to. And then also the thing about Don Baylor, too, was he was kind of that superstar right away with the Angels that, like, put the Angels on a map because in 79, before yeah. 79. It was kind of like 2002 yeah. in a sense where, you know what I mean, as soon as that team happened, all of a sudden, boom, all these more fans. And, you know, right. it just was like, I think he was the first kind of guy that really got the Angels. You know, obviously fans and other guys to get excited about, too, but I think he really that year, you know, groove. You know, everyone, everyone loved Don Baylor for sure. Yeah. So one position that you didn't put on here was like a utility player. And you, you've mentioned names like an uh, 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 Erstad, Eckstein, you know, uh, Sean Figgins. If you had a utility player spot on this roster, which one of those guys do you think you'd give it to? It's a good question, I guess, because the definition of utility is tougher, too, because just because he played multiple positions, I don't know that, like, I'd call – I guess you could call – like, even, like, Erstad has to call him utility because he's left-handed – and, you know, he can right. play center in the outfield and first, but it's like he can play shortstop or second base. And so, uh, so to me, I guess overall utility, utility, like the true sense of the term, it'd be tough not to have Sean Figgins be that guy. Um, another guy I liked a lot that, you know, maybe his numbers don't pop out, but I always thought he was a pretty good player and was underrated was Meister Turris. I, I always liked the way he played oh, the yeah. game. 
Um, yeah. You know, and, and then Mark McLemore, I think, was the first guy that was really ever used as a super utility for the Angels. And really one of the first ever in baseball to be a guy that moved all over the diamond as a utility player. Um, so I, I think that Figgins probably is just a, as a pure utility guy who could play. Like you talked about, he played center. He played everything but first base, I think, um, and played right. it well. So I think that that's one of those ones. I think in the future, obviously, maybe a guy like David Fletcher could be a candidate, and, um, someone like that that can kind of play a lot of positions. Because for me to be utility, you pretty much have to play shortstop to be considered utility in my mind. So like if you right. call them multi-positional, that's one thing. And then, it's, then it would definitely be Downing or, or Erstad, one of those two guys. But if you're actually talking straight utility player that just kind of moves around and can play short, I think it would be tough to, to, to top uh, Sean Figgins and his impact. Yeah, I think there was like a Halo magazine that, that re- they, they released back when Figgins was playing where he was holding a bat and had every single – because he had like a – he had a short – you know, infielder's dub, outfielder's dub. I think they even put the <laughs> yeah. on there, even though he didn't catch. But, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to not say Sean Figgins is your dude because, I mean, there was a season, like I said, where he, I think he played the whole year in center field. And the very mm-hmm. next year, he's, he's platooning at second and short, and then they found his niche at third base. So, you know, it's kind of hard to – to, to not uh, plug in Fagans in there. Yeah, definitely. So now you were done with position players. You did the position players, and again, he had he did a whole top five list plus some honorable mentions on positions. So if you want to see the whole top five list, definitely check out uh, angels.com. Now moving forward, you are doing pitchers as well. What position? What positions are you doing for the pitchers' uh, side of the ball? So the one that comes out this week, I think is released today, is uh, right-handed starting pitchers. Um, and then mm-hmm. from there, it goes to left-handed starting pitchers. And I think we go set-up relievers from there and then closers. And then okay. at the very end, it'll be, you know, the best manager in club history, which I think we know the oh. answer to that one. And then, <laughs> and then uh, best general manager, too, which would be kind of a fun one. Um, okay. It's hard not to go with, you know, the same thing with Stoneman with the winning World Series. But that'll be fun to research, though, too, and find out more about some of the former GMs from the, the Angels in the 70s and 80s. Because, really, like mm-hmm. I said, a lot of it, you know, I, I know enough about club history, but not – a ton, a ton about those teams from back then. So it was fun to read a lot about them and learn a ton about a lot of those guys. So it's actually been kind of a fun exercise to kind of do that in a sense. But yeah, yeah. it's going to be these rounds here of the starting pitchers and a couple of relievers, and then jumps right into um, you know the, the coaches and, and management. So yeah, it'll be pretty cool. And then right now too, we're doing that dream bracket too, which is pretty cool. Where the Angels, the 2002 team, is still alive. I think they face the uh, 2011 Rangers this week. Um, so oh wow! They kind of look out for, which is kind of cool. Uh, the 1980s, sorry, the 1979 Angels lost to the 83. No, they lost to oh, they lost to the 61 Yankees last week. So, kind of fun. Oh. Every Thursday and Friday, MLB is doing these best teams from each franchise are facing off, and outside the park baseball, which is pretty cool, a little simulator. So more stuff like that's kind of coming on the way. But yeah, as of as of the top fives, definitely pitching now for the next few weeks for sure. And are you releasing them one per week? Correct. Yes, exactly. They pretty much, I do most of the research and write them by the end of the week, and they usually run on, on Mondays. Cool. And then the best way for, for fans to uh, get these articles is, is which way? Yeah, it's called angels.com, especially if you want to start look back. If you start out with a DH one, like you said, the nice thing about the DH one is it'll have links to every position. And it's fun, too, because you can even Google it, and you can look at it. We do a, every week we do this, MLB.com, we also have a page where it's every single team's top. So it's kind of cool even if you look and see it, you know, you want to see who the best top five are for other teams, too. If you just are a fan of baseball and you're curious, you want to kind of see it, you know, Yankees or Red Sox or some of the bigger clubs, too, and some of the, you know, Hall of Famers. So it's a fun exercise. I said I definitely have really, really enjoyed doing it. Um, but, yeah, the best way to do it is just go to angelsbaseball.com. 
find the DH one, and from there I can kind of go back and look at all the different ones I've ranked. So hopefully I got, you know, I did my best I could. I think in some ways maybe, you know, you never know if I got all of it right, or it's just my opinion, <laughs> but, uh, but it certainly has been fun for sure. Yeah, how, how, how has been the reaction, like, on Twitter and social media and stuff like that from when you put out your uh, top five? People love it. I mean, people seem to really enjoy it, and it's funny, you know, I get people that disagree or say, hey, you forgot this guy, or why wasn't this guy included, and things like that. I had a fan that was mad that Dave Winfield never made any of the lists. Um, oh, wow. And he, I guess just because he didn't have as many, he did have, you know, a couple of good years, and obviously he had an incredible game with him, and he set the all-time, you know, total bases in a game for the Angels record, but I couldn't quite get away to fit him in there, unless I got him in at the end of DH there, but otherwise I couldn't quite get him in there. So there's some good players, you know, because he's a Hall of Famer, you know, overall. So that's kind of one of the things, just like sometimes you get guys that say, why did you put this guy here? You forgot this guy, or why is Gary DeSarcino not in your shortstop list, or things like that. So it's fun just because the fans have passion, and they've got guys, you know, they really like, and especially from the era that they grew up in. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely cool to kind of hear from the fans because they, they've actually been doing really well, and they've really enjoyed reading it. Getting the Twitter feedback is always fun to hear for sure. Yeah, thank you again, Red, for stop, stopping by and chatting with it. And hopefully we can have you on again once the whole pitching uh, top five and the manager top five come out, and we can discuss that as well. But if you want to follow him on Twitter, give him a follow. It's at Rhett Bollinger on Twitter. Again, that's all. Uh, you'll see a lot of his stories on there and keep you up to date with everything going on with Major League Baseball. Again, that's at Rhett Bollinger on Twitter. Thank you, Rhett. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. What's up? Johnny Catfish here, ambassador for Groom Goon Beard and Body Care. Are you tired of your beard feeling rough and not so fresh? Do yourself a favor and do what I did and check out www.groomgoon.com. Groom Goon carries a variety of beard oils and beard and body soaps that will leave your beard feeling soft and smelling great all day long. Don't just take my word for it. Go check it out for yourself. Again, that's www.groomgoon.com. And at checkout, use discount code CATFISHTHEGOON, all one word, CATFISHTHEGOON, and receive 15% off your purchase. Why choose Groom Goon? Well, because your beard deserves it. Listen to my show, The Punk Corner, on KJ Epic Radio, every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. I'd like to take a second to shout out the network that helps distribute our show, Armchair Media. Armchair is a collection of 50-plus podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a little bit more. We've been with them since approximately 15 months and have enjoyed growing our audience with theirs. Starting June 1st, Bet Online will serve as a title sponsor for Armchair as well as our show. This will open up the possibility to develop merchandise lines as well as potentially host live events once we return to semblance or normalcy. With NASCAR, UFC, and golf coming back, Bet Online has hundreds of games and events to bet on. They have live and simulated sports as well as a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge you can enter for free. Visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device to check out the action. BetOnline is your online wagering solution. In addition to BetOnline coming aboard, Armchair will now serve as the host network for the world's largest skateboarding podcast, The Nine Club. Hosted by professional skaters Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart, The Nine Club talks every week 
with the biggest names in skating. They're on social media at The Nine Club. To see all things Armchair, search Armchair Media wherever you get your pods. Also, check us out on Armchair's website, armchairmedianetwork.com, and our social channels at Armchair Media. Armchair Media. Those who can, do. Those who can't, take a seat. And we are back. Again, thank you to all the sponsors. Um, so, yeah, that was it. That was the uh, interview with Red Bollinger again. Follow him at Red Bollinger on Twitter for all updates about Angels baseball, Major League Baseball. And he's also going to be continually uh, posting about the all Angels pitching staffs. So that's another thing that will be really interesting to read about and, and um, have him on and talk again about. But uh, I, can't, I can't say it enough. It was a lot of fun having him on. Um, you know, Johnny and myself will probably be back next week. Uh, we're, uh, we are enjoying Memorial Day right now as we speak. Hope everyone out there is nice and safe and enjoying their time off. Um, but you can always reach us at allangelspodcast at gmail.com, halo underscore haven, uh, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And we would love to get you guys' feedback on this interview and maybe what your guys' top uh, position players for the Angels all time are. Yeah, let us know what you think of Red's list and where you guys place your guys if you want to. That's something we can always discuss, like Daniel said on the podcast. It's always good little discussion topic. And, you know, it, it can go on forever, but it's always funny hearing one stops. And again, if you guys uh, follow us on Halo underscore Haven on Twitter and Instagram, hashtag Angels Memorabilia Challenge is still going on. Love to see what you guys have in your collection. So let's keep that going. But yeah, man, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, thanks again to Red. So that's going to be it for this episode of the All Angels Podcast. I am Down Garcia. I'm Johnny Maggs. And we will see you next time right here on the All Angels Podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.